And it's entitled, and it's continuing in the series, Courage, Prayer, Faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Thank you, son. <laughs> well, good afternoon, everyone. And I would like to say initially, I uh, hope you have a good uh, Memorial Weekend. And for any uh, veterans out there or watching online, thank you for your service. Well, I am continuing my series um, with this title, Courage, Prayer, Faith. And uh, this is the third and final part in it uh, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Like I mentioned before, at the start of those other two stories, um, I wanted to <clears throat> focus on stories from the last 100 years on people who uh, covered this title. I've got to adjust this light here. One second. So, who was Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He was a German Christian who stood firm against Adolf Hitler and the Nazis before and during the Second World War. He was born on February the 4th, 1906 in Breslau, Poland, which at the time was a province of Prussia. And Prussia was a German kingdom from 1701 through 1918 and included parts of present-day Germany, Poland, Russia, Lithuania, Denmark, Belgium, and the Czech Republic. So it covered a, a vast area, Prussia. He had a twin sister, Sabine, who was one of eight children. His dad was a famous psychiatrist and neurologist, Karl Bonhoeffer, and his mother, Paula Bonhoeffer, was a teacher and granddaughter of theologian Karl von Haas. At the end of the uh, 19th century, in the first 30-something years of the 20th century, um, there was the biggest and most suspected names in uh, Protestant theology were Germans. Um, Karl Barth, Albert Schweitzer, Franz Hildebrand, just a few names. Um, today, there are a lot of theolo good theologians from all over the world, but at that time, uh, I think, it had, I think it's related to something to do with Martin Luther and his teachings and, uh, and all of his uh, writings that he did. <clears throat> but it's an, an unusual amount of theologians in Protestant theology were Germans at that time. Oh, by the way, I got all my information today on, my, on what I'm talking about today from this book. Uh, Bonhoeffer, Prophet, Martyr, Pastor, uh, Spy by Eric Metaxas. And since the book was published in 2010, he's become the kind of the go-to guy on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, very thorough book. Um, a lot of correspondence that Bonhoeffer did in his time that's never been released before was, was put in this book. So a very, very good book, very good read. Um, and really covers everything that he did and, and his fight. Um, now, Karl Bonhoeffer... Um, raised his children, his eight children, um, 
been a psych psychiatrist and urologist. He was. Uh, he wanted his kids to be well educated. They were from a, they were fairly well to do. Um, I would say probably upper middle class in Germany. Um, but he he wanted to teach his kids and told them to whenever you're in conversation or debating, always use reasoned analytical thinking. And his his thing was don't even open your mouth unless you know every single syllable of what you're going to say. That was his way of, of raising his kids. Um, and so, naturally, Karl Bonhoeffer was hoping his uh, intelligent son would pursue an occupation um, in academia, um, maybe a doctor or perhaps a scientist. He was certainly smart enough from an early age. But from that early age, Dietrich wanted to become a theologian. But he was also a good natural speaker, so he would also become a pastor from an early age. From 1924 through 1927, Bonhoeffer completed his Doctor of Theology degree from Berlin University. And from age 18 through 21, there is a, an excerpt from the book here I wanted to read about there, which is very interesting, I think. <coughs> In 1924, the theological faculty was headed by Adolf von Harnack, then 73 and a living legend. He was, he was a disciple of Schleiermacher, who is to say, which is to say staunchly theologically liberal, and one of the leaders of the historical critical method of the 19th and early 20th centuries. His approach to the Bible was limited to textual and historical critical analysis, and had led him to conclude that the miracles it described never happened, and that the Gospel of John was not canonical. Harnack lived in the Grunwald neighborhood, as did most distinguished academics then, and the young Bonhoeffer would often walk with him to the Helen C. train station and ride with him into Berlin. He attended Harnack's prestigious seminar for three semesters and esteemed the venerable scholar greatly, though he rarely agreed with his theological conclusions. A fellow student in Harnack's seminar, Helmut Goetz, recalled feeling a secret enthusiasm for Bonhoeffer's free, critical, and independent theological thinking. And this is what this, this student, Helmut Goetz, uh, recalled later on. Quote, what really impressed me was not just the fact that he surpassed all of us in theological knowledge and capacity, but what passionately attracted me to Bonhoeffer was the perception that here was a man who did not only learn and gather in the verba and scripta of some master, but one who thought independently and already knew what he wanted and wanted what he knew. I had the experience for me it was something alarming and magnificent and new of hearing a young fair-haired student contradict the revered, revered historian, His Excellency von Harnack, contradict him politely but clearly on positive theological grounds. Harnack answered, but the student contradicted him again and again. Bonhoeffer was a remarkably independent thinker, especially for one so young. Some professors regarded him as arrogant, especially because he refused to come too directly under the influence of any one of them, always preferring to maintain some distance. 
but someone who grew up dining with Karl Bonhoeffer, his father, and who was allowed to speak only when he could justify every syllable, had probably developed a certain intellectual confidence and maybe somewhat excused if he was not intimidated by other great minds. So from an early age, he, he was leaps and bounds of everybody else in, in that kind of department. And so with that in mind, I want to turn to my first scripture today, First Peter chapter 3 and verses 15 through 17. First Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Okay, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Are we ready to give an account for what we believe? Can we give rational answers to those who question our faith or our beliefs? As the 1920s moved into the 1930s in Germany, every Christian would soon be coming, or would soon be asking questions of themselves as the specter of Nazism loomed on the horizon. Now, uh, between 1919 and 1933, the Weimar Republic was established in Germany. Um, the Allies from the First World War, America, Britain, and France crushed Germany with their demands uh, at the Treaty of Versailles in 1919. I think France especially really wanted to grind the boot into Germany after what had happened. Um, I think just over a million British troops died in the First World War, and uh, more than that, more, more than that, uh, French died. <coughs> um, so Germany was crushed. Uh, they weren't allowed to have a standing army of more than 100,000. Um, but then their economy just went, just tanked, and hyperinflation followed. I remember uh, learning about this at school when I was uh, back in England, um, that the the Deutsche Mark really lost all its value completely. And you know, they show pictures of people with wheelbarrows full of German cash just to go and get groceries. Um, I think it was equivalent of something like a million dollars for a loaf of bread. It was crazy. Um, and so, towards the end of the 1920s, uh, there was a moderate uh, prime minister or president of Germany who started to get things a little bit better under control. Um, but, you know, along comes a certain Adolf, Adolf Hitler who is a nationalist and you know, he started to rise through the ranks. He'd been imprisoned in the mid-1920s, but he was saying the things the Germans wanted to hear, how he would get Germany back out of this, uh, this crisis, bring them back up to greatness. And it, it, it seems uh, an obvious thing for the German people would want to 
hear somebody say that kind of thing and bring them out of their, uh, their poverty and, and what had happened the, the previous 15 years. So, jumping forward, two days after Hitler became the Chancellor of Germany, on January the 30th, 1933, two, day, two days after he was sworn in, 26-year-old Dietrich von Hofer gave a radio address. Now, he'd had this, he had this speech already prepared beforehand. The title for his speech was The Younger Generation's Altered Concept of Leadership. It dealt with the fundamental problems of leadership by a Führer, which was the German name, uh, German title, explaining how such a leader inevitably becomes an idol and a misleader. And Adolf Hitler had that down to a T. Many of the things that he said before he be became chancellor, he went back on it, it was just all a lie. But before Bonhoeffer could finish his speech, he was cut off. Now, there's some speculation as to whether it was the Nazis. They didn't have complete control of the airwaves at this point, but it's not known for certain. So, <clears throat> now that Nazis had complete power, things really start to go downhill in Germany for the, the regular people. Here's a little excerpt, give an example. Of course, you know how <coughs> Hitler and the Nazis hated the Jews, and that was one of their, their big things that they were going to follow through on. For example, right here, throughout 1933, the Nazis continued their campaign to legally bar Jews from state-affiliated institutions. More and more laws were enacted along the lines of the April 7th Reformation of the Civil Service. On April the 22nd, Jews were prohibited from serving as patent lawyers and Jewish doctors from working in institutions with state-run insurance. Jewish children were affected too. On April the 25th, just three days later, strict limits were placed on how many of them could attend public schools. On May the 6th, just 10 days later, the laws were expanded to include all honorary university professors, lecturers, and notaries. They all would lose their jobs. If you were Jewish, you were not going to work at a school, university, nothing. In June, all Jewish dentists and dental technicians were prohibited from working with state-run insurance institutions. By the fall, the laws included the spouses of non-Aryans, on September the 29th, Jews were banned from all cultural and entertainment activities, including the worlds of film, theater, literature, and the arts. In October, all newspapers were placed under Nazi control, expelling Jews from the world of journalism. So one thing after the other, every month, every few weeks, they would bring out something to, to pound down the Jews. And everybody in the higher administration of, of Hitler's government hate the Jews. And it's just despicable what, what was going on and what they were thinking at the time. So maybe it was inevitable in the environment, but what started to happen with the German churches was shocking. It's explained here in the book. The German people were starting to 
the German Christians were starting to come under the influence of some of these higher-up German Christians who headed some of the Lutheran churches and so on. Um, and it's just astonishing that some of them, the higher-ups, wanted to do away with the Old Testament because it was too Jewish. They wanted to take it out of the Bible. Um, they wanted to actually change the words of Jesus and create their own New Testament because some of the stuff he sound, said sounded too weak, not strong enough. They wanted more military speak put in there, um, more powerful, more authoritative. It's just in, in crazy. Some of the things that is, is quoted here, the correspondence between the higher-ups and a lot of the German people went along with it. Maybe some of them were afraid to speak up to say anything in case. Um, it's just astounding how millions of people fell for this and would go along with it. And the, the, con the complete control of Germany by the Nazis was just happening and it was getting stronger and stronger as the 1930s went on. So I've got another scripture here I want to go which ties in with this. This is a uh, Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and just verse 4. Verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit with which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And I think my study Bible here explains this well down here, that particular verse. Quote, another Jesus would be one who was a man but not God, or crucified but not risen. A different spirit would be one of fear, not faith, of bondage, not freedom. A different gospel would be one of law and not grace, and of works and not faith. And this was happening in Germany. The, the, the people were falling for it. They couldn't, and I, I find it hard to believe. I mean, it is, you look back at it on the history of what happened that time in Germany, how a whole nation fell under the sway of one man and his complete control and power. So, you may have heard of this quote before. One of Bonhoeffer's most famous quotes is, quote, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. I'm sure many of you have heard that quote. That was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said that. Think about that for a moment. A couple of weeks ago, a commentator said something on the radio. He's been saying that the last five years that he doesn't recognize his country anymore. But this time he said something more profound. He said, I'm beginning to not recognize the truth anymore. How true that is. There's so many things that are being, that are, are being said by many people out there about anything. And Christianity is suffering. You know, what is the truth for Christians today? Can different denominations, different churches stand together without arguing? How about we talk what is actually here? Right here in the pages of the Bible. The Word of God. I mean, 
That's where it all begins and ends. The eternal truth. So, you know, right now we're at one of the lowest points for Christians in American history, I think. And unless President Trump can work miracles, I don't see it getting any better. Not that he really has that much sway or that much say in, in the way things are run. Um, no, not only is there hatred from the far left progressive, but there is also the murderous hate from Islamic extremists towards Christians. And has been for the last, well, it goes back a long time, 40, 50 years, but I mean the last five or six years with the rise of ISIS especially. And unfortunately this past Monday we saw that the bombing in Manchester, um, which killed 22 people, um, I don't have any relatives uh, living in Manchester, but uh, my soccer team is from there, Manchester United. Um, but it's a great city and brought to its knees by, by these, these, these monsters, these animals. Um, and how they targeted a bunch of teenagers and kids specifically is just, you know, it's beyond our thought, isn't it? It's beyond our comprehension of these people, why they do it. So, you know, there's still evil in the world. There was and is evil in the communist countries around the world. And there was pure and utter evil in Nazi Germany. I mean, and it's always been around for thousands of years, ever since Satan came into the, the story. And unfortunately, it's going to continue until Christ returns. I mean, that's just part of the way the world is. So, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very busy throughout the 1930s. He was preaching all over Germany. He and uh, some other theologian friends ran a seminary school in a couple of different places. Um, but he also visited and preached at German-speaking churches in England, um, the London area. Came over and spent uh, almost a year in England. He came over to America, um, I think 1930, 1931. And uh, he also went to Sweden um, in the mid-1930s and late 1930s. So he, he was going all over and would specifically speak at German congregations in those, those specific countries. But, you know, he was from a fairly well-to-do family, so he, he could afford to travel a lot. Um, but he was uh, busy doing the work of God, as he called it, you know. Um, as the 1930s wore on in Germany, and Hitler bega began his military attacks against neighboring countries, that would lead to uh, World War II, he was also allowing the Nazi government to clamp down on Christians, too, especially the ones who weren't with the Reichschurch, as they called it the Reichskirche in German, which is basically a church run by the government. The more the Nazis pushed against Bonhoeffer, the more he pushed back. He would never give up on his principles, his values. He would never turn away from godly Christian character. I've got two quotes I want to read from him. These quotes are from 1933. <clears throat> Quote, the fearful danger of the present time is that above the cry for authority, we forget that man stands alone before the ultimate authority 
and that anyone who lays violent hands on man here is infringing eternal laws and taking upon himself superhuman authority which will eventually crush him. The church has only one altar, the altar of the Almighty, before which all creatures must kneel. Whoever seeks something other than this must keep away. He cannot join us in the house of God. The church has only one pulpit, and from that pulpit, faith in God will be preached, and no other faith, and no other will than the will of God, however well-intentioned. End quote. And like I said, I think that was from 1933. And again, to tie that in, I'm going to go to my third scripture in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and verses 32 through 39. Book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll begin in verse 32. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. You had compassion on me in my chains. This is Peter. Uh, this is, uh, sorry, Paul speaking. Well, we believe it is. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. You know... Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew at some point that he wouldn't be able to elude the Gestapo who had been following him and his friends for a while. And so he was finally arrested on April the 5th, 1943. He made sure he had his Bible in his hand. He knew they were coming. He was taken to a Tegel prison, a military prison, where he would stay for the next 18 months. He even tried a religious outreach to his fellow prisoners and guards. There is some evidence to suggest he was involved in some way with the intelligence information side of a plot against Hitler, the uh, famous Valkyrie plot of 1944. Um, he actually worked for the, uh, one of the German military intelligence agencies. Uh, he had the Gestapo and Abwehr. I guess the Gestapo would be like CIA, I think it was kind of like FBI, dealing a lot with the intelligence. Um, and he worked for them for a, for a couple of years, um, trying to gain some intelligence information. And so anybody that was remotely involved with the failed uh, Valkyrie plot was hunted down, imprisoned, and executed. They were able to tie Bonhoeffer to the assassination attempt before they arrested him at that time. Um, they looked back what he had done. They've been following him for a while. 
and they were able to uh, find paperwork that tied him to some other people involved in the plot. So, unfortunately, he was executed by hanging on the 9th of April, 1945, at the Flossenburg concentration camp, just two weeks before the Allies came through that area, badly. Uh, and on that day, four or five other uh, German Christians and uh, uh, dissidents were executed too. He was steadfast in his courage to the end. He even preached a small service 24 hours before his execution in, at Flossenburg. He, uh, he spoke to the other prisoners there. I'm not sure how many, I don't think he mentions how many were in there, but 24 hours. Uh, he spoke to the other guys about the hope that is to come and return of Christ. He was the one that was comforting them, yet he, was, he knew his time was up. There was a lot of uh, correspondence, correspondence mentioned in the book, like I, like I said earlier. He was a prolific writer. Hundreds and thousands of letters that have been discovered in the last uh, 70 years. And he also authored two or three books. Um, the most famous uh, title is The Cost of Discipleship. I haven't read that one yet, but I'm going to. Uh, it sounds very interesting. Um, but Christians like Dietrich Bonhoeffer can inspire us, his, his story, what he went through. And like the other two um, guys I mentioned in my other two messages, uh, Desmond Doss and Bob Fu, people who really carry out the title Courage, Prayer, Faith, people who have been through unbelievable persecution, who've been through some situations that we would never dream of, that some of us never will go through, but who have pulled through a belief in a higher power, belief in God, carry them through. Um, and their courage is beyond some of our imaginations, what they did, what they went through. And uh, I'm sure they will be rewarded in the end in the kingdom. So, and I've barely scratched the surface of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, this is one book many books about him, documentaries, uh, a couple of movies made about his life. Incredible story, amazing story. Um, for a Christian just to stand up against one of the most powerful, most evil leaders of all time, never would back down, never would sway. And everybody around him, some of his friends, said, Dietrich, what are you doing? Don't say that. Don't do that. Let's go over here. Let's be quiet and not get in trouble. Nope. He said, no, I'm going to keep on going the way I'm going. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change my ways. They, they can, but I'm not. And uh, he knew what would be the ultimate outcome. And uh, he was prepared to go follow it through to the bitter end, to the absolute end. So his story can embolden us, can strengthen our resolve, and we should continue to pray. Thy kingdom come.